never say die! Hello, everybody, and welcome to 40 Going On 14. I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh, and this week we're talking about Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, which was the second most likely reason to connect corks to forks in my youth. (laughs) I don't get it. I I don't want to ask what the first reason is, but what's the (laughs) first reason? I mean, when you've got wine but no wine opener and you're inventive but kind of (laughs) stupid. So you you forked your wine bottles, is what you're saying? Oh, yes. This wine has a corky afterbirth. <laughs> I don't think how that that's how that phrase goes. <laughs> I don't think you guys know how wine works. <laughs> I know how wine works. I know how wine works. <laughs> <laughs> These are the jokes, folks. <laughs> you get what you pay for. <laughs> so, yeah. If you'd like to get what you pay for. See, I was waiting for something better. <laughs> we should probably talk about the subject first. Oh. Oh, yeah. Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. <laughs> wow. That was a uh, way to build it up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you like things being built up awkwardly, you might like the shows on the Podcast Collective. You think that was better? Joel's on the Sunshine Happy Pants Hour. Tales from the Hard Side. The Internet with Scott the Pool Boy. The Portland Bear Club Podcast, and of course, the Red Dead Radio Hour. Started getting a little Primus in there. Yeah, it's slowly turning into a Primus song. Yeah, and uh, if you're looking for our older stuff, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, TalkShoe, Podverse, FM, NoonFM.com, Podchaser, and every pod directory that you, we could get our hands on. As Pat says, if you can't find us, you ain't trying hard enough. True story. Give us a call at 708-NOW-RAP, 708-669-9727. You can click on the call button on our Facebook page also and give us a ring. Now, the question of the ages, do we have any calls? No. I bet. (laughs) (laughs) If I were a betting man, I would go with no. So let's just roll with that. Is it about that time? Sure. Okay. Yeah, we don't have any. We don't have- I just checked. <laughs> oh, that was so seamless that that stalling right there. <laughs> the professionalism they're they're looking for when they log in to see us. We're so good at this. Yeah. Send us money. Send us money now. We like things. All right. <laughs> about that time. This week in music, movies. TV Sporks. Did you say Sporks? I think yeah, he was talking did. about he was talking about forks. So, I, you know. oh, Joel is topical. I thought he was going to say corks and corks, forks, dorks, malorts. <laughs> so, okay. starting to, we're starting to sound like a Swedish podcast now. Bork, dork, a bork, bork. I would listen to a podcast hosted by the Swedish. So bad. <laughs> I'd, I would love to have him and like and like interview really serious people. I want to see the Swedish chef interview like Obama. He'd be like, "Bork, bork, 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 President Obama, bork, 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 bork." 
I think that'd be hilarious for about 12 minutes. Yeah, right? That has a definite shelf life. It's I mean, it's kind of like in that um, Space Ghost Coast to Coast thing. Oh, yeah. You know, How long was Andy Rooney doing it? <laughs> <laughs> he had like a rat tattooing situation. His eyebrows were just kind of controlling him. <laughs> he had a rat under his toupee. All right. <laughs> Pulling on his eyebrows. <laughs> Andy, what's that thing in your hair? Oh, darn it, I forgot to wear my hat. <laughs> okay, Pat went with June 10th, 1964. Aha. The release of Bedtime Story, the original version of this movie starring Marlon Brando, David Niven, and Shirley Jones. I thought there was an earlier one, and I could not for the life of me remember what it was. Yeah, Bedtime Story is a great freaking movie. You need yeah, it. it's, it's very funny. You don't think Marlon Brando and David Niven would play well off of each other, but they're it's great. Yeah, the 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 scene when he's uh, when David Niven is testing him, testing his legs and everything is is oh. just as funny in the original as it is in in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Mm-hmm. I need to see this now. Yeah, you do. All right. All right. So, uh, music. The number one song in the land was "Chapel of Love" by the Dixie Cups. Oh, the that's not how that song goes. <laughs> I was gonna say I love that song, but not anymore. Yeah. That's yeah, right. <laughs> I don't like it as sung by the maid from Family Guy. No, no. <laughs> Stop. Sung by background Phil's maid. Oh, I thought that was Jimmy No Face. <laughs> I'd be more angry if it was. Oh, God, he's getting ready for Jimmy No Face. All right. That's not All right. No. So the the first concert of the Beatles World Tour began on June 4th. Fuck you, I got no face. <laughs> I knew it. I was like, he's waiting to interrupt somebody with it. <laughs> I figured the only way to get him to go, though, was to start talking. Uh, the first concert of the Beatles World Tour began on June 4th with Ringo Starr absent during the first four concerts after collapsing during a photo shoot session dur- due to tonsillitis. George Martin got Jimmy Nichol, a session drummer from London, to replace Starr until he could rejoin the Beatles. Nichol had drummed on an album, Beatlemania, made of all Beatles covers, so he knew how to play the songs. After a few quick practices, Nichol made... One TV appearance and played five concerts while the Beatles, Denmark, Netherlands, and Hong Kong, and two in Australia. Ringo returned for the June 15th concert at Festival Hall in Melbourne, and Nicole left for Britain. Unable to say goodbye to the band members due to them sleeping, Jimmy received a wristwatch with the engraving from the Beatles and Brian Epstein to Jimmy with appreciation and gratitude. And he then faded back into obscurity. From Melbourne, all the Beatles continued the tour of New Zealand and Australia, the summer, the Beatles then started their UK and Sweden summer tour, followed by their first U.S. tour and kept touring until August 28th, 1966, where they played their last concert at Candlestick Park. Goodbye and thanks for all the fish. Yep. Just an interesting little side note. No. Yeah, that's kind of rough. They couldn't even be awoken to say goodbye. Well, I'm going to go with they were unconscious more than asleep. <laughs> I mean, they had to talk George Harrison into even doing the tour without Ringo doing those first five dates. Huh. Not even a side hug. All right. On June 5th, the Rolling Stones began their studio recording for their second EP, 5x5, at Chess Records in Chicago. 
The title of one of the songs, 2120 South Michigan Avenue, refers to the address in Chicago of the recording studios. These sessions took place in connection with the group's first tour of the United States a year before I Can't Get No Satisfaction was released. Hmm. Great song. Good lyrics. And finally, James Joseph Chamberlain was born June 10th in Joliet, Illinois. He is an American drummer and record producer, best known as the drummer of the Smashing Pumpkins. Following the 2000 breakup of the band, Chamberlain joined Billy Corgan in the supergroup Zwan and also formed his own group, the Jimmy Chamberlain Complex. In 2005, Chamberlain joined Corgan in reforming the Smashing Pumpkins. He is currently active under the Jimmy Chamberlain Complex name. 2008, Gigwise named Chamberlain the fifth best drummer of all time. In 2016, Rolling Stone ranked Jimmy Chamberlain 53 on their list of 100 greatest drummers of all time. That's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty big deal. Yeah. Not just that one, but just in general. Yeah. There's a lot of drummers out there. So, you know, and I didn't know, his, I didn't know him by name. I like Jimmy Timberland, but I never, I don't know. I never, never thought of him as being that quality, but yeah, like the standout artist of the band. Yeah. I have to look up these smashing pumpkins. They sound like they'd be interesting. <laughs> He is one of those drummers, though, kind of like uh, Dave Grohl, where when you hear him, even if you don't know it's him, you can still tell. He's got a very distinct style. Yeah, like um, uh, another band that David Grohl was in. Foo Fighters? No, no. Uh, Nirvana? No, The Buzzard something or other. Scream? No, uh, he was in it. And Margaret. Them Crooked Vultures? Yes, Them Crooked Vultures. He was also in Tenacious D, Propane. Pat huh. You know those th- them crooked vultures? No, you would like them with Josh Homme and uh, uh, John uh, John Paul Jones. Yes, I was going to say uh. Zeppelin's bassist. I couldn't think of his name. I think I actually would like them. Oh yeah, Laura loves them. It's good stuff. Yeah. All right. Uh, moving on to movies. The number one movie in the land was Viva Las Vegas, starring Elvis Presley and Anne Margaret. Speaking mm-hmm. of. <laughs> <laughs> uh, her- and Canfield. Robert Warwick, born Robert Taylor Bean, was an American stage, film, and television actor with over 200 film appearances. Handsome and with a booming voice, Warwick trained to be an opera singer, but acting proved to be his greater calling. He made his Broadway debut in 1903 in the play Glad of It, with a young John Barrymore also making his Broadway debut. For the next 20 years, Warwick appeared in such plays as Anna Karenina, The Kiss Waltz, The Secret, and a celebrated case. After serving some time in World War One, uh oh, Warwick <laughs> started making numerous silent films in 1914. From the 1920s on, Warwick alternated doing plays and silent films. When sound films arrived, a now middle-aged Warwick found plenty of work in character roles in which his voice recorded well. Throughout the 1930s and 1940s, Warwick's dependable acting and resonant voice ensured that he was seldom out of work. His immense filmography included such classics as The Little Colonel with Shirley Temple and The Adventures of Robin Hood with Errol Flynn. Warwick also made numerous appearances on television almost from its initial popularity in the 1940s. In his 70s, he was still hard at work and made appearances on every type of television show from westerns to adventure series onto science fiction and anthology series. Warwick, at the age of 85, died on June 6th in West L.A., California. Absorbed. And I think he's one of those guys, if you look him up, you'd recognize his face. Yeah, I'm looking at uh oh Robert. Oh, he was oh, he was Sir Jeffrey. From Sir, who? Uh, Sir Jeffrey from uh Robin Hood. Oh, okay. 
I just recognized his face, his, his older face. I didn't know him from his earlier stuff. He had a long, distinguished career. Yeah, I mean, yes, he I, did. a career that starts with asylum films and goes all the way into the talkies. That's uh, all the way into television. Yeah, yeah, that's something. All right, so TV. The top shows of the land are Bonanza, Bewitched, Gomer Pyle, USMC, and The Andy Griffith Show. Bewitched is a new one. Yeah. I like Bewitched. I want to do a Bewitched show, but I don't watch, want to watch that movie. <laughs> it's been on my list to watch at some point, but I keep putting it off because there's other things I'd rather watch. Yeah, it's not that good. Have that's, you seen it? Yeah. That's, that's my thing. <laughs> I mean, on paper... You know, it should be decent, but I've not heard a single good thing about it. On paper, we should be making money for this. <laughs> it, it was barely memorable. So. Yeah. All right. So Courtney Cox, who achieved her fame as Monica Geller on Friends, was born June 15th in Birmingham, Alabama. She's also appeared in several movies, such as the Scream franchise, and was a lead actress in the popular television show Cougar Town. Which I've also heard very good things about. Yes. That's a, yeah, I watched a couple episodes. I liked it. I got to check that out. I don't know why I have no desire to see that. I I thought it was like a like a Desperate Housewives kind of thing, and Laura informed me that it's a you know it's a half hour kind of absurdist sitcom. Yeah, I always assumed it was the same, and I've heard it. Yeah, Patrick, I I lived it. <laughs> Patrick is kind of a cougar. <laughs> yeah, spelled with a lowercase c and a q. I don't know what that means. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> All right. So on June 12th, Paula Marshall was born in Rockville, Maryland. She has a full career as a guest star, recurring character, or bit part in 73 different television shows since 1990, along with some B-movies. At one point, within eight years, she starred in six different TV shows that were all canceled in less than a season. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Which is <laughs> Hidden Hills, The Weber Show, Snoops, Cupid, Chicago Suns, and Wild Oats. I remember Cupid's. That's the one with um, Jeremy Piven. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she broke the one-season-only pattern by star- starring Gary Unmarried for two full seasons. Probably most known for playing the reporter in the Not That There's Anything Wrong With That episode of Seinfeld. He's oh, like wow. Bruce Campbell. She can't get a show that stays on the air, which isn't true anymore, but used to be. Used to be. Or, or like, what's uh, uh Oh, God, what's his name? Ted something. Um, DiBiase. There you go, Ted DiBiase. <laughs> he was on a lot of sitcoms. Ted McKnight. I think is his name. Ted he McKnight. was on a bunch of, yeah. He, play, he played Marcy's husband on Married with Children. That was like his longest running show ever. Everything else he did after that was canceled within, you know, six episodes of him joining the cast. Yeah, I remember seeing him pop up a lot, but. You're right. I don't remember him anything other than Married with Children, actually. Like, yep. that I can recall. It was kind of a well-known Hollywood curse. Like, as soon as a sitcom brought him in as a, you know, whatever, they're like, well, that show is on the way out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, finally, born June 13, Catherine Lucy Bridget Burke is an English actress, comedian, writer, producer, and director. She achieved fame with her appearances on sketch shows such as French and Saunders, as we all remember. Exploring role as Magda and absolutely fabulous. Oh, now I know. For her role in the 1997 film Nil by Mouth. I didn't name it. It's a movie. 
I, no, I'm not. I'm trying to think. It sounds like something off of like Urban Dictionary. <laughs> she won a Best Actress at the Cannes Film Festival and was nominated for a BAFTA. I figured you guys would recognize her from Absolutely Fabulous. Yeah, AbFab is probably where I'm going to recognize her from. But All right, moving on to sports. Peter Mark Such, born June 12th, is an English cricketer. An off-spinner, Such was brought into the test arena in 1993, taking six for 67 in his debut and being the highest wicket-taker for England in the series. He only played an initial four tests before having to wait five years before his next appearance. However, Such enjoyed a 19-year first-class career, including stints at Nottinghamshire and Leicestershire before joining Essex in 1990. It was at Essex where he gained most success. He is perhaps best remembered for hitting the winning boundary in the second day of a NatWest Trophy semifinal against Glamorgan in 1997. In 1999, playing in his final test at Old Trafford, he made the second longest duck in test history <laughs> from 52 balls against New Zealand and earned a standing ovation. So he just like squatted down and just stayed there for a while? And, hey, look at the size of that duck. Uh, I've only seen one duck longer than that ever. <laughs> Keep ducking. Okay, so two things. One, <laughs> Leicestershire. Leicestershire, thank you. <laughs> I didn't want to interrupt you. But it was <laughs> I, knew I, was just, I knew there was an easy way to pronounce that. I just couldn't. Yeah. Also, I realized while you were doing that, that there are people that could have been listening to our show for years and have no idea why we talk about cricket because we started <laughs> the gag like four and a half years ago. Yeah, yeah it's, God, it's, That just it's, occurred to me. Well, because cricket is, is sports. Yeah. It's the most popular sport in the world. Next it's to soccer. So, so weird. Yeah, I think it's, it has to do with a lot with our confusion about it. Yes. Well, for sure. And that's the thing is someone who was around from the beginning would get that. But like you could have been listening to the show for three years and it's just like, I don't know, they occasionally talk about cricket. <laughs> second longest duck. The second longest duck in the next maiden. Mm. And then lastly, in sports, Raimondas Sarunas Marcellonis, born June 13th is a Lithuanian retired professional basketball player. One of the first Europeans to have great success in the NBA, he is widely considered as one of the greatest international players of all time. In the 1988 Summer Olympics, together with teammate Arvita Sabonis, Marcellonis led the senior USSR national team to the gold medal. In 2014, he was inducted into the acronym of the week, the NMBHOF. Jesus, did... Josh pissing your cereal or something this week? Oh, no, I know this one. That stands for no more big, hairy old Frenchman. <laughs> Gerard Depardieu is going to be upset. I was just about to pull that name. Oh, he's, damn it. Sorry for your luck, Gerard. Sorry, Ted DiBiase? Is that better? How about Len no. Bias? Ah. <laughs> no, sorry. That is the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame. Sorry, you were very close. Was he? Yeah. No, One of no. these days he'll get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think so. <laughs> we seem to be getting further away. And lastly, Marshall Lunas became a member of the FIBA Hall of Fame in 2015. That's it for the twee. Play us off, keyboard Joel. Nah, 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 nah. All right, so back in 1988, they said, hey, you remember that movie, Bedtime Story? Back in 64. And everyone said, no. no. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they said that, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> blip, 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 blip. 
And after they all went out to watch it, they came back and said, damn, that was a really good movie that I never heard of. <laughs> Let's remake that. Let's remake this. Yes. Who do we got that's hot right now? Oh, man. So they said, hey, why don't we get Steve Martin and Michael Caine to be in this movie? Or Is Ted McNally? Michael Caine? Of course, sexy Michael Caine. Is there any other kind? But before they did that, do you know who they... I don't know if you put uh, this in the trivia. Uh, did you put that in the trivia? All right, I was going to say, because that's where I was going to allude. They're like, who do we got that's hot right now? Well, this video just came out. Yeah, we'll get to it. We'll get right, to that. All right, all right I'll, I, won't, I won't spoil it then. Keep it in so, page, uh, wealthy native Brit Lawrence Jameson living in Beaumont-sur-Mer. Beaumont-sur-Mer. Yes. That place on the French Riviera earns most of his money through big cons on wealthy, unsuspecting women. With the help of his associates, corrupt police inspector Andre provides with him most of his intel. And his butler, Arthur, he pulls scams such as pretending to be a foreign deposed prince who needs money to finance a secret war to liberate his people. Beaumont-sur-Mer, thus his world, is invaded by the brash American Freddie Benson, another con man whose targets are also wealthy, unsuspecting women. Lawrence believes Freddie is the jackal, a con man whose true identity is unknown but is known to be working his way through europe while lawrence works on thousands of dollars per scam freddie is only in the tens or lucky hundreds of dollars lawrence's efforts to get freddie out of his territory are unsuccessful so when freddie figures out that lawrence is a con man like he he decides to blackmail lawrence to work with him that is written by hugo from imdb that was much better than the half a sentence that imdb actually did have for this he's pretty boss yeah I'm thinking that guy's actually Huggo. Huggo? <laughs> the two G's give it away. Oh, okay. That's Huggo. From Toy Story 3? Yeah. And he's pretty booze. No, oh, that's a lesser known Batman villain, Huggo. No, AKA Bane. <laughs> that's what Bane's wife calls him, Huggo. Huggo. <laughs> She's in a wheelchair, too. <laughs> oh, that's Huggo for you. <laughs> Break oh, my oh. spine, but you gotta love him. Always be coming in here, letting me up. <laughs> so this Wait, is uh, real quick, though. I will take. I, I'm going to take issue with the the one sentence in that it says Lawrence believes Freddie is the jackal. Lawrence never believed Freddie was the jackal. Mm. They were talking about that he was in Beaumont Sumer. He was around there working. So yeah, but I mean, it was never expressly said because. I think that Lawrence believed that Freddy was too, you know, was not good enough to be the Jackal because the Jackal was renowned, even even enough to get into the papers. Well, there, there was the implication. I well, no, we're not going down that road. No, <laughs> I don't. I just I disagree with that. That in there, I don't think he ever thought he was the Jackal. That's just but a, the a, implication. <laughs> no one's getting hurt, are they? <laughs> Clearly, you're not in any danger. All right. So this is directed by. And the first time I found this out, it surprised the heck out of me. Frank Oz, the voice of Fozzie Bear and Miss Piggy and Yoda and all the Muppets that you love. And Kermit the Frog, even. That, which is not what Joel just did. That is what I did. He also played the county clerk in Blues Brothers. Mm -hmm. He did. Yeah. Uh, this is written by Dale Launer, uh, who has done other things such as Love Potion Number 9, which I remember that being pretty good. Yeah, it's not a bad movie, actually. Uh, My Cousin Vinny. That's a very good movie. And uh, Blind Date. Yeah, that's an okay movie. Ooh, and Ruthless People. That's yeah, Ruthless movie. People was better than better than the reputation it has. Yeah, and then um, the uh, original writers of it, Stanley Shapiro and Paul Henning, who uh, did, along with Pillow Talk, did That Touch of Mink, Lover Come Back, 
a ton of old classic black and white movies and also episodes of the Dick Van Dyke show and Beverly Hillbillies. So I thought they were a law firm. Shapiro, Henning and Launer. It sounds like it, doesn't it? It really does. Mm-hmm. All right. So this stars a one Steve Martin as Freddie Benson. Who? Yes. Uh, sexy Michael Caine as Lawrence Jameson. Mm. Len Headley is Hedy. Hedy. No. Oh. No. <laughs> no, it's, it's Headley. Damien Scare. May know her from well, you may or may not. Uh, she was Tess Trueheart in that terrible Dick uh, Tracy. She movie. passed away a few years ago, sadly. She did. Oh, yeah, yeah twenty seventeen. Oh no, that's oh now I'm sad. Okay, uh, Anton Rogers is Inspector Andre. Uh, so uh, Anton Rogers, I remember seeing him in a lot of different stuff. Like he's a great backside character actor, but then I realized why I knew him so well is because he plays number two in The Prisoner. Oh, oh, good, oh. good pull. I did not catch that. I didn't either. Oh, wow. Don't know what I'm doing with you, Patrick. I know. <laughs> he dropped the I'm, ball. I'm sad. I yeah. didn't recognize that. And then Barbara Harris as Fanny Eubanks. Of Omaha. Yes. Lady Fanny. Lady of Omaha. Fanny. Yes. And we also saw her in uh, Freaky Friday when we watched that. God, that's going way back. And also you can find a reason to watch uh, Gross Point Blank because she plays Mary Blank in that movie. Uh, Ian... McDarmid, Diarmid. Ian, yeah. Huh. Yep. Who uh, who played Arthur in this one, but you may know him as Senator Palpatine. Yes. I did not catch that. I've seen this movie lots and lots of times. And I was sitting there watching it with Laura, and I'm like, that's Palpatine. She's like, who? Let's <laughs> see. Ian McDermott, yeah. Well, yeah. There's, a, there's actually a uh, scene that's been cut from this where Steve Martin falls down and he goes, ah, 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 ah. Ah, and that kind of gives it away. Then he shoots him with lightning bolts. That would be cool. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's, shall I get rid of him, sir? Yes, Arthur, get rid of him. <laughs> Come to the dark side. This is why we don't write movies. I mean, why we should and why we shouldn't write movies. Both Dana Ivy as Mrs. Reed. I uh, also know her as, I recognize her as Margaret Alford from the Adams Family movie. Oh, yeah. So, some trivia. According to the DVD commentary when Freddy's in jail trying to remember Lawrence's name, the entire scene was improvised by Steve Martin. Director Frank Oz was crouched out of camera range and tapped Anton Rogers on the foot to interrupt Martin when Oz felt that he had gone as far as he could with the improv. It reminded me of that scene in Dumb and Dumber with the whole slippy, slappy, (laughs) sloppy Samsonite. Yeah, I was way off. I think just calls to Steve Martin's improv abilities in this one. But and to carry on with that, DVD special features report that Steve Mar- Martin and Sir Sexy Michael Caine frequently ad libbed throughout the movie, as well as the ending. Apparently, this movie was shot without a definitively known ending. Hmm. So, hmm. Is he, hmm. hey, uh, Mr. Oz. Do we know how this is going to end? And he's like, no, just let them go. See what they do. <laughs> the whole movie is a grift. <laughs> yeah. Once we run out of money, we'll do something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so as Patrick was alluding to before, <gasps> bum, 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 this movie. <gasps> 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 
Um, I know stuff. Yay. This movie was originally a project for Mick Jagger and David Bowie. Weird. Yeah. After the success of their Dancing in the Street music video in 1985, which obviously showed immense character development and comedic skill. Studio what it showed was sexual chemistry more than anything. <laughs> it did, actually. Yeah. It's the first time they got it on film. Yeah, this was not the type of movie that they should have made after that video. Not saying that movie isn't out there. Dirty. Oh, it's, out, it's out there. Dirty, dirty, rotten scoundrel. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Um, your bosses were anxious to put them in a movie together. Dale Lautner was brought in based on the success of Ruthless People and asked to submit ideas. Jagger had previously written the title song to Ruthless People, and based on his enthusiasm for Lautner's script, Lautner had seen the original movie Bedtime Story on television once before and suggested a remake. <laughs> we weren't that far off earlier. Hey, I remember this movie. Lautner acquired the remake rights from one of the original writers, Stanley Shapiro, and Shapiro, who are you putting in this? <laughs> Can't. Uh, Sorry, during development, Jagger and Bowie dropped out of the project as Steve Martin and Sir Michael Sexy Kane were brought in as replacements. According to Bowie, he and Jagger were a bit tweezed. It's a weird word. That we lost out on a script that could have been reasonably good. I mean, if anyone's going to use tweeze as a verb, it's going to be Bowie. Right. Yeah. And he would say it extremely classy. And you'd be like, oh, wow. That word is tweezed. So, and I don't know if reasonably good made or majorly bad <laughs> i don't it would have been an entirely different movie it would have i don't see i i can't even like, this movie is so ingrained in my mind with these two in it that i mick jagger and david bowie just and, and there was such a push in the late 80s early 90s to make mick jagger a movie star so would he have been freddie benson then yeah jagger? likely they would have made david bowie the posh one yeah that and that's how sense. i see it in my head well, I mean, have any of you seen The Man Who Fell to Earth? No. It's on my no. list, though. Yeah. David Bowie. It's not on my list. David Bowie is good in really trippy, cranial sci-fi movies. Well, and Jagger did that um, that Highwayman movie. Oh, Ned wow. Ned Kelly, or something about Ned Kelly, I think. I think it was called Ned Kelly. No, but he did a, waking, he... waking Ned Kelly? <laughs> he did a, a sci-fi movie also. Yeah, uh, Free Jack. Yeah, Free yep. Jack. Wow. Awful. That's not the one I was thinking of. I Free Jack was it. bad. Oh. No, I, I'm not saying you're wrong that it was awful. I'm saying I liked it. <laughs> not mutually exclusive. <laughs> oh, he did play. It was called Ned Kelly, 1970. Yeah, I, I agreed. With, I said it was Ned yeah. Kelly. Didn't... Well, I knew there was a Heath Ledger one, but I didn't know if the original was also called Ned Kelly. But I know that was a movie that always pops up when people talk about Jagger. Last of the trivia. This is movie is a remake of Bedtime Story from 1964. Sir Michael Caine and Steve Martin play the parts which were originated by David Niven and Marlon Brando, respectively. The names of the two lead characters in this remake basically stayed the same as those from the original, but have the spellings altered. In the original, the lead characters were Freddie Benson and Lawrence Jameson, while in this remake, they are Freddie Benson and Lawrence Jameson. Fine. Also, Fanny Eubank in the original, is Fanny Eubank from Omaha in this movie, while Janet Walker Shirley Jones in the original became Janet Colgate in this movie. Started running out of steam on the uh, tri- yeah. trivia. So they changed the spelling of two names and changed the last name of one. That's it. Yeah, that's it, really. 
That's that's not good trivia. <laughs> like I said, this, the trivia was running out of steam. Well, yeah, and I think Mike realized that it, it's not so much that it's not good trivia. So it's not good trivia for podcast when he read the exact same thing twice to show how different they were. <laughs> Shut up, man. Freddie Benson was changed <laughs> to Freddie Benson. <laughs> it's a visual thing. This, this The banner on this one just going to say Freddie Benson. <laughs> All right. Now, I hope to God this is not a first doing for any of us. No. Oh, no. Yeah. No, not at all. This is easily in my top 10 favorite comedy. Oh, me too. And I'm really picky and usually differ from you guys on comedies. I laugh out loud at this movie every single time, even though I know it's coming. For sure. The play off between Michael Caine and Steve Martin in this is so good. The chemistry between the two of them, just hating each other at the same time working together. Knowing that they're ad-libbing through it makes so much more sense on how well this bounced back back and forth between the two of them in the scenes where they're in, especially like in the prison scene or the, the idiot boy scenes. Ruprecht. Ruprecht. Um, just good. good. I'm glad we're finally doing the show at the end of the year because for years I've wanted to do this in December because I keep forgetting it's not actually a Christmas movie. There was a uh, really earwormy advertisement when this was coming out when with them singing arrest these merry gentlemen oh yeah like the rest of my life i i thought yeah i associated it with christmas because of that ad they did they did a lot of christmas themed advertising for this there was one where they were uh stealing money out of the salvation army bin Mm -hmm. and there's a couple like three or four different ones yeah so for years i forgot this wasn't actually a christmas movie so yeah. every December for like the last three or four years, it's like, hey, why don't we do this? It's a Christmas movie. And you guys are like, no, again, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> You're thinking of trading places. The one scene where in the in one of the, the teasers where Michael Caine and Steve Martin are walking along the dock and Michael Caine pushes the old lady off the pier and Steve Martin shoves a kid's face into the cotton candy. They're apparently yeah. the huge thing that everybody was expecting that scene to be in the movie. And when it wasn't, there was a little bit of, I wish they did that more in Hollywood. I wish they filmed trailers specifically for the trailer. Like, I wish they were like, you know, they didn't just take scenes out of the movie. I wish they filmed trailers. I I wish they would stop giving me the whole freaking movie in trailers. Right. That's why I I wish they would start it, just so that you have a whole new thing that kind of gives you an idea of the movie, but doesn't tell you anything about the movie, you know? Yeah, like, um, and I love her to death. Is that the one? Where he brings the the, the, the two ex-wives take... Death becomes her? Death Becomes Her, that's what I'm thinking. It's like the trailer for that one had a ton of scenes that were never in the movie, and the movie was still fantastic because it gave you enough to know the comedy and everything that was going on in there, but it wasn't enough to spoil anything for you. I don't know. The trailers back in the day were like three minutes long and usually gave you the entire story. Um, and people complain too much, though, when they don't. When there's a scene that's not actually in the movie. They're like, where was the scene? I wanted to see well, and and I don't know if you guys remember, there was a time when I worked for a company that we we showed upcoming movie trailers in malls. You know, the annoying people that stop you. I worked for them for a while, and it's been proven in many studies that that the majority of people prefer knowing more about the movie through the trailer than not knowing anything, which I just hate. But you know, your Michael Bay lovers, you know, want to know what they're walking into before they buy the ticket. Mm. If you're going to see a Michael Bay, I think you probably know what you're in. Yeah. I was using an incredible generality, Joel. Your face is an incredible generality. Thank you. Good response. 
<laughs> That's why we keep you on for those responses. <laughs> Face. The thing is, I remember, I know I've seen this a ton of times, but I can't recall seeing it for the first time. Yeah, I don't either. I know I was a, a kid, but I have no idea when it was. I'm sure I didn't see it in the theater. That's the only thing I'm sure of. Ooh, I don't remember if I did or not, to be honest with you. I, I do remember that this was one of those movies that my father introduced the whole family to, so he's definitely responsible for all of us loving this movie. Oh, yeah. And hands down, my favorite scene in the movie is Rupert. <laughs> the The urination scene when he's at the table, I, I was giggling. The, as soon as I knew it was coming, I started laughing. And, and <laughs> May I take your trident, like, sir? <laughs> he's like, why do you have a trident? No, my, uh, Joel, I mean, the Rupert, okay, the, the, the being at the table scene is good, but what happened when Uncle Frank was here and he gets the, <laughs> he gets the glove and the lube? No. After that, <laughs> there wasn't. I love the the funniness about that is not that he's like, no, that's not what happened. It's no. After that, what happened? And then he just goes along with it, yeah. And then the Oklahoma, Oklahoma, Oklahoma. He's going to love the wide open spaces. <laughs> you know what happens, Freddie, when you bang on your pots? You all out of pots. Amazingly good movie, well written and. I hate to say the thing's gonna be another one of the, these shows where we're just like, "Yep, we love it." I, I think my my personal favorite scene is when he's testing Freddie's legs in the wheelchair. Tickle, tickle, tickle. <laughs> then he keeps hitting them harder and harder. Well, my name is Doctor Emil Schaffhausen. The third. A, the third. <laughs> uh, he gets the running start and just whacks him. <laughs> excited he's crying <laughs> uh. and just watching watching it you know this time i was what because this is the i don't even know how many times i've seen this movie i love it so much but uh watching it this time i was watching through the eyes of janet you know knowing the whole time that they're trying to scam her and watching her just keep them on a string and make them you know it, it's a it's a interesting movie to watch from her perspective knowing that she's, you know, playing them the whole time. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's something I was going to bring up is Glenn Headley's performance is just the first time I saw it, I was, I was duped. Cause I was just yeah. like, Oh my gosh, she's so sweet and she's so nice. And these guys are taking advantage of her. And I felt bad for her. And then. Uh, yeah. As then soon her as perform- her out, performance had so many layers because yeah. she had, she had to like keep it together to look like she's, you know, a sucker for them, but also, not look too much like a sucker because, you know, watching it and, you know, again, she can't look like, you know, she doesn't know what's going on. She does a, a she has a really good performance for a comedy. Yes. She does. She's funny, but she's, she doesn't try to overpower the ridiculousness between the other two. Right. She's a perfect straight man while still being not straight. I mean, it's a great role. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I also want to call out Ian McDermott as Arthur, like, Every scene with the butler is just amazing. Yeah. <laughs> he's got some of the... F- Welcome to hell. What you- <laughs> yeah, some of the funniest bits, because he's just completely deadpan and dry and just says his line and walks off and just drops it. Mm-hmm. I could say, like, so what What role am I playing? Remember the emperor? But he's a butler. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll run with that. <laughs> Can I shoot lightning from my fingers? No, no, not this time. Well, maybe you can, but we won't show you do it. 
<laughs> Maybe in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels 2. Is that something you can do naturally, or was that an effect? I'm not sure. <laughs> Would you like to find out? They're dancing! <laughs> Oi! I heard the music, and I crawled all the way up. I mean, it's... And you're dancing! Oi! <laughs> Get up and dance, he says. The sailors. The sailor seems... You'd be a uh, dear and hand me that super glue solvent, please. <laughs> uh, I just legitimately, I put this movie in and I'm happy. Yeah. For two hours, I'm happy. And it's a, a comedy that's two hours that doesn't feel like two hours. No, this is not a movie that I have ever watched and looked at my watch while I'm doing it. Because sometimes you're, I, I won't lie, there's been more than a few movies on this show where I'm watching it and just like, Jesus Oh, I got 45 minutes left. <laughs> it's like, yeah, there's been a lot of that. Yeah. And I'm not looking at anybody in specific, Joel, but some hmm. of these choices. What? I just looked over my shoulder. I was trying to figure out who you're talking to. Yeah. That guy behind you. <laughs> oh, hey, Frank. I thought it was yeah, no. you, got your, you got your own. You got a background, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. a He's a hot dog hanging from a ceiling behind his head. <laughs> it's been there for years. It's kind of like one of those hams that they hang, you know, that they're just rum like, ham. <laughs> no, but you know, it's, it's impressive because most, most movies are an hour and a half. Now they're starting to get longer with the superhero trends, but on average, you know, you, you sit down, you watch a movie an hour and a half is the perfect time. But this to me wouldn't work as well if they truncated it at all. It needs all the scenes that are in it. This movie needs it. Spoiler. I'm not sure if the remake needed it. Well, we'll get to that. Yeah. Josh, you get any? What's your favorite scene, Josh? I was not expecting follow up questions. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Pat. Well, he already, told I already us. said what mine was. I know. I'm giving Josh time. Oh. What's your second favorite scene? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, I never really thought about it in terms of like, this is my favorite part. I just, I've, I've seen the movie, I don't know, two dozen times. The fact that I'm willing to see it two dozen times. Yeah. I kind of like the whole thing. Yeah. The music, the setting, the oh, story. The amazing. I'm, star I'm starting to think he can work miracles. Yeah, I'm starting to think that too. <laughs> <laughs> The whole scene where they're trying to get Steve Martin all dolled up to be classy. <laughs> he tried so hard. And it seems like a cop-out, but I guess if you're going to pin me down to one, the, may I go to the bathroom? Yeah, the whole the whole yeah. dinner scene with Rupert, yeah. The entire Rupert thing, but especially the thank you. <laughs> Just the look of satisfaction on his face and like, yeah. Oh, I wish he would have done a little pee shake at the end, like, yeah. Because I remember the very first time I saw this, that scene in particular, I'm like, why is he making that face? And then suddenly when he says, thank you, you're like, oh. <laughs> I get a little grossed out when he's eating applesauce off the fork, though, because I'm like, oh, the cork on the fork and the applesauce. Why is the cork on the fork to keep him from injuring himself? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Not mother? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, this is going to be one of those where we turn into Chris Farley in Saturday Night Live. Remember that one part where that thing happened? That was really good. You've got two 
amazing comedians. And, and I'm trying to think, like, sometimes I, I can nitpick. I can go back, we watch one of these, and I was like, you know what, watching it this time, this didn't work. And I really don't have a moment like that for this f- film. No. No, you really don't. I mean, it, and I agree with you. There's times where I've we've rewatched movies, and I've been like, oh, man, that was so much better in my memory than it was, you know, watching it again. This one literally... Yeah, I was I was looking for something to nitpick about, and honestly, there I I couldn't come up with anything. No. Yeah, it's one of those movies where I have no no issues with it whatsoever. Zero. I'm just running through it trying to think if I can come up with a scene that I was kind of like, eh, this didn't really you know last. Yeah, I can't, long, you know, just, yeah, I can't come really... up with a joke that didn't land. Yeah. And even the even the tertiary characters, even like the the police chief and all them, their scenes are great with them. Like him him suggesting to kill Freddie. Yes. <laughs> and when and when Mrs. Reed comes out of the, I mean, that was one where I, like when Mrs. Reed came out of the hotel and she was like, oh, "Your Majesty," I'm like, and I was like, "Oh man, there's no way this can be as funny as." Nope, this whole scene is still as hilarious as I remember it was. That's how he plays it off. She's a patient of mine. You know, it's. It, Unfortunately, uncurable. Yeah, good stuff. I mean, like Joel said, this is two hours of just smiling, happy, fun movie, and yeah, it's a good time. Good stuff. So, you want to call it on this one? I I don't know. That there's much more we can say aside from throwing random quotes and talking about how much we liked it. it it's pretty <laughs> obvious. Yeah. That's pretty much it for this one. So uh, when we get back, uh, we are going to talk about the the hustle, twenty nine remake of a remake, and uh, we will be back in a little bit. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> They said, hey, remember that movie that nobody remembered called Pillow Talk? What? Wait, was it Pillow Talk? Bedtime Stories. Bedtime Stories. What was Pillow Talk? Pillow Talk was another movie those guys wrote. Oh, that's right. Um, Which is another good movie. Anyway, well, they remade that, and it came out really good. We should remake it, because there's no way it can't be good said Chris Addison, the director of this movie, also director. The good news is is the remake of this movie will be great. <laughs> that's the way. That's how it works. Um also known for directing such things as Breeders. I don't know, Veep, something thick ah. of it and Playing House. Veep is the Julia Louis-Dreyfus show that's got a lot of acclaim. Oh, yeah, yeah. Won a ton of awards. And uh, I don't know the other stuff, but a lot of TV. It's, um, rewritten with Stanley Shapiro, Paul Henning, and Daryl Launer from the previous one. Jack Sheffer is the guy who jumped on in this one, who is also the writer for Black Widow, the new 2020 movie, and the 2021 TV show on Disney Plus called WandaVision. And then Timer, 
I'm excited for Black Widow and WandaVision. Oh, is, uh... and Olaf's Frozen Adventure. Oh, we For lost Frozen? For, well, not Olaf's Frozen. That's a side gig for Olaf. He's kind of like got hustles on the side. Um, <laughs> So this star starring Anne Hathaway as Josephine Jesterfield, Rebel Wilson as Penny Rust, Alex Sharp as Thomas Westerberg, Ingrid Oliver as Bridget. Uh, Ingrid Oliver. Des- Desjardins. Did you guys recognize her, by the way? Uh, my fellow Whovians? Deja vu de? No, Ingrid Oliver. No, did. I didn't. She was uh, on Doctor Who. She was Osgood. What? I, the... See, I believe you, but since Osgood wore glasses, I'm the guy that would be fooled by Clark Kent. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she was the super nerdy Doctor Who Uber fan that like dressed with the the scarf and had the question marks on her shirt and was a nerdy scientist who I wish she would have been a companion, but she was only in a few episodes. I think at this year's Gen Con, I'm going to shave my face and not wear my glasses and see if Josh recognizes me. <laughs> Josh is like, where's Pat? We should all do that. <laughs> I, I've been waiting here for the guys for three days, and Sarah's just like, I, I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> so, moving on. Sorry. Emma Davies as Kathy. Dean Norris as Howard Bacon. Timothy mm. Simmons as Jeremy. Rob Delaney as Todd. And Tim Blake Nelson as Portnoy. I totally missed Tim Blake Nelson. Who is Portnoy? You know him from, from, well, most of you guys would know him from Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? But. Yeah, he's in Watchmen right now. Done a ton of stuff. Yeah, he's a really good actor. But I don't remember him in this movie at all. Oh, like, yeah. And the Incredible Hulk and the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Um, there's a lot of this movie that I think I phased out for. We're not there yet. Trivia. No. Trivia. The hotel suite that Thomas stays at has the brass plate on the door that says, Sweet Caroline. Huh. Da, da, da. Yeah, we caught that. Yeah. I missed that. Uh, because the film's PG-13 rating was originally R, Rebel Wilson had to go out and argue with the board that the film was no raunchier than similar comedies that had received a PG-13 rating featuring male actors, and her efforts prevailed. So... Yeah, she's not wrong. No. Yeah. Wrong, yeah. Um, Anne Hathaway said in an interview on Good Morning America that she avoided performing a traditional English accent for this film. She said that the audiences know she's American and could potentially scoff at her numerous English characters. So because her character Josephine is a con artist, Hathaway performed as if maybe Josephine is not actually English at all, but speaks in English accent as another con. It's a con on a con. It's like a con Oreo. It's an anaconda. If you can do a decent English accent... And you're a con artist, and you're trying to pass yourself off as like posh. That'd be a definitely way to go because there's nothing that that Amer- that fools Americans into thinking you're sophisticated faster than an English accent. It's true. Well, some English accents, but it's funny because I, I, I'd venture more... to say almost all of them. I mean, even a Cockney accent will get some people to <laughs> like. Oh, aren't you fancy? There's a lot more English actors that do an American accent better than the way other way around, but there are a few. A few Americans that do a really good English accent. This is filmed in Mallorca. Mallorca. 
Now I almost get... took that entire trivia point from you because I'm like, there's three words and he's going to blow one of them up. <laughs> Shut up, man. <laughs> Which has one of the most interesting flags I've ever seen. It's orange and yellow stripes on the right with a field purple on the left with a castle sideways on it. Huh. It's in the Mediterranean. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's supposed to be a beautiful place. Well, it is. We saw it. Yeah, it looked really like a great place to have a vacation. Uh, that's that's actually you know, ties into my biggest positive for this movie is that the cinematography was amazing. Oh, yeah. But I wonder if I'm going to be alone on this one. Last trivia. Alex Gamon, the actor playing the waiter on the train featured at the beginning of the official movie trailer, is an Olivier Award-nominated actor who starred in the stage adaptation of The Dirty Rotten Scoundrels at the Savoy Theatre in London's West End. In the stage production, he starred opposite Robert Lindsay and played the role of Freddie Benson, which was played by Steve Martin in the original 1988 movie Dirty Rotten Scoundrels and by Rebel Wilson in the remake. So, hmm. That was kind of cool. Hmm. So, I watched this movie for this show. And I would like to throw in there, if anybody's not seen the original, go watch it. Okay, now this one. Well, here's the thing is this movie, they panned the hell out of this movie. Yes. I was excited for it because I like Anne Hathaway and I have nothing against Rebel Wilson. And I heard the reviews. So maybe my expectations were set at a certain level, but like, I don't think it's fair. Like, I'm not going to say it's anywhere near as good as Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. But this was a hell of a lot better than I thought it was going to be. Well, and usually IMDb, I can be pretty comfortable with their rating system that since it's primarily by people like us, it's usually it's usually pretty good. Like if it's above a six, then it's something that's going to be decent. This had a 5.3. So I was like, all right, you know, it's borderline. Yeah, it's 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 something that got so much hate that maybe there's a little bit of tank there. Um, and I actually walked away from it feeling like. No, it's not the original, but it was a, it was a decent comedy. Okay, I think Joel and I are uh, on the same page. Let, let's hear from the other side of the peanut gallery. <laughs> Don't you just throw it to the peanut gallery because we disagree with you. This movie was not good. I like Anne Hathaway not as much as a lot of people do. I don't dislike her, definitely, but I don't like love her like a lot of people do. I'm kind of, you know, I, I, I like her, you know, and... I'm already over Rebel Wilson. It took maybe two movies for me to be like, yeah, you got one shtick and that's it. Mm -hmm. And this whole movie was nothing but her shtick. Well, it's her shtick doing whatever it is that she does. I don't find Rebel Wilson funny at all. I don't. She, like she's funny in small doses. She's great as a tertiary character, as a roommate, as a side character. Not as somebody trying to carry a whole movie. I don't know. There were some moments in this where I felt like she could pull off more than she's doing right now. Like the scene where she's talking to, uh, I forgot his name all of a sudden, the tech guy, Thomas Westerberg, which incidentally, this was only his eighth film or eighth credit where she's talking to him and he talks about how he genuinely likes her. And she's got this look on her face like, you know, Maybe I am worth something. Maybe what I've been doing is wrong. And you can just feel it without her even saying anything. And, it, you know, it was kind of a dramatic moment. And I was like, okay, I'd like to see her stretch her legs a little more. Because I'm not, I'm kind of where you guys are. I'm, I don't love her. I don't hate her. I 
just kind of like, eh, she's in it. Okay. And, that, and and that's kind of my point is like, you know, when she's doing more than what her little shtick is, she's showing some range and everything. And it's like, I would like to actually see her do that rather than just continuously keep doing the same character over and over again. Well, and a lot of her jokes didn't land, but I actually would say overall, most of the laugh out loud moments for me were from her. And I laughed a lot during this movie. I I hardly did at all. I don't I don't think I really did. I did not. <laughs> I I found her funny like pitch perfect where she was in she was a tertiary character. She was funny. It's just f she's good on the peripheral. I just don't think she's like Pat said, she's not she can't carry the whole movie. She can't carry the whole movie with that shtick. Right. She's we got, don't we don't yet know if she can carry a whole movie because she keeps trying to do the same thing, and nobody's I, reining her in. Well, I'm interested to see her in Jojo Rabbit because she's she's in that one, and I'm relatively certain that she's not playing the same shtick in Jojo Rabbit. Yeah, I, that, that's that'll be a good judge. Yeah, yeah, good, uh, litmus test. I will say that uh, Anne Hathaway, it's interesting that they talk about her English accent in the trivia because the English accent wasn't the one that was killing me. It was the Dutch accent. That uh, was not good. <laughs> but again, she's, you know, she's playing a con artist. So I don't know. Maybe she should. It's only going to be good it. enough to, to get by the mark. In sure. reality, you know, I mean, outside of Hollywood. Like if you were, if you were a con man, you would, you really only have to get past the mark with your accent. It's not like they're going to Amsterdam. Yeah. On the regular. Yeah. I don't know. It it just, it it stuck out to me as being just really bad. Like someone doing bad improv bad. Yeah. It's, it sounded, it sounded almost like Austin Powers. Yeah. Gold member. For those of you that, don't remember the Dutch character. Yeah. Gold member. My Faja. <laughs> and it was it was in most ways pretty much a direct remake. Most of the uh set pieces were exactly the same. Uh I did like their take on the Ruprecht. Uh, the way they made her the insane princess. Oh, I did not. No. And they I... had the Texan who was the guy from uh uh, Breaking Bad. Yeah, Dean Norris. Yeah. yeah. I always refer to him as the guy from Total Recall. That's weird. See, because I, I would think that I'd go there first, but I, he's so much more prominent in Breaking Bad that. Oh yeah, yeah. But I remember watching Breaking Bad, going, "Hey, that's the guy from Total Recall." <laughs> yeah. Well, and there were some things that they did that in this that were, that were different from the original. Um, the whole thing with the, the trash bag dress was kind of funny. Yep. Um, the yeah. Way that she... did, okay. That, that was a scene that made me laugh. Cause I was like, the, the I, trash I, I was like, she's did. obviously going to be in this giant thing. And then nope, she moved from the other side. I'm like, okay, that, that, that got me. Yeah. And at the end, the callback to it, where she's like, these dresses are fantastic. You know, that was okay. That was, that was, that was funny. Yeah. I, and... ugh, the, I, I couldn't get behind the crazy princess sister. Well, and they, you know, they had to to justify the gender swap somehow. So, and the fact that she's not, you know, here's Anne Hathaway, who's Catwoman versus, you know, Rebel Wilson, who's not Catwoman. And, you know, they had to justify how she could be a con artist. 
And I thought it was kind of an, a clever way of using modern technology to kind of give her a way to be that character. But one thing I noticed that, that we talked about in the first app was when the movie ended, we were talking about it. And I'm like, it felt like it felt like it was, you know, less time, which it was. But it felt even shorter because they did truncate a lot of the stuff and they shortened the scenes. Like the whole scene with her being the princess took less time than the whole Ruprecht scene plus him getting, you know, into character. And it, and it felt like it felt like the movie kind of lacked, like there wasn't enough character development or story to. It felt like I was cheated out of something a little bit. Not saying that I needed it. Yeah, but. it for sure wasn't perfect. But like a lot of people talked about this, like it was just awful. And I think it was unfairly panned. I, I, it's nowhere near as good as Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. But I don't know. I wasn't looking forward to watching it. But by the end of it, I was like, you know, that was pretty all right. That's I'm, I see, uh, Josh, I'm with you on that, that it's definitely not as it will never be as good as Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. It's it was all right. I didn't enjoy it because it seemed to me this this is the kind of the, the idea I had with it. It was like there was a lot of scenes that matched up to what's happening in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. And it seemed like the people that made this movie heard about Dirty Rotten Scoundrels from someone who saw it once and doesn't 100 percent remember it. I just think like timing was off on it uh, the uh, one thing where the swap where like with the end of the first one when uh, michael kane is watching her fly away and laughing as the fact that he just got taken and he's the, supposed to be this great guy where those at the end of them they were it they almost swapped it you know where anne hathaway is flipping the bird at the the uh the plane i was expecting them to remain i don't say to remain in their silos but remain in their characters as being and Hathaway was supposed to have been this great con artist. Wouldn't she have the you know the respect for getting conned and let Rebel Wilson do the freakout scene? I think she was true to her character. I mean, she was not a good person. She was not completely together. She was petty and vengeful, and that's the thing is like you're expecting her to be true to Michael Caine's character, not to the character she was actually playing. Okay, I can give you that. That was one of the big differences with this is Rebel Wilson's character was much more sympathetic and genuinely, I, I feel like a good person deep down, but Anne Hathaway was not, <laughs> she was not like Michael Caine, who was kind of the good person deep down. You know, they that, was, that was what I was going to say is like, you know, Anne Hathaway's character was definitely not the classy type of con man that, that Michael Caine's character was. Yeah. They flipped all of that. Right. She lived, she lived the classy life, but that didn't make her like a classy person. Right. Mm -hmm. Like she wouldn't be the type that would just graciously accept defeat like like uh, Michael Caine's character did. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like Lawrence did. Yeah, she was true to that character. The, the character that they wrote for this movie, which was different, was again, was a flip of of the, the story that we saw in the original but, you know, if you guys were to have seen this, speaking specifically to Mike and Pat, and had never seen Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, I mean, do you think you would judge it differently or would you still say, yeah, it wasn't very good? I don't understand the question. The problem wasn't that, you know, I was judging it against Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. The problem was that I just did not enjoy Rebel Wilson's performance. And I, that might be the, the dividing line is because I found her funny and you didn't like it, 
I think we can agree that Anne Hathaway was okay, but nothing special. So the movie lives or dies on how you take her performance. Right. And that, that really is our dividing line. I, I think you're right about that. There you go. We're going to do thumbs up, thumbs down. Well, that was quick. <laughs> I mean, we, we, I mean, how, we got anything else to say about it though. I mean, do we have favorite scenes? I would have to go with the the opening and closing the bookmark of you know the whole thing about the trash dress. That was that was probably the best scene to me. I actually uh, liked the, the uh, redo of the she's blind, the Penny's blind scene where she's going to give her a snack and she's got the French fry in the toilet. As oh, obvious as it disgusting. was, it was it was funny to me. And I, I don't like lowbrow humor, but that that one got me. That is that is kind of weird that you you would choose that scene out of all the stuff that was gone. Cause I know you don't like that. Like if she'd peed on it or like wiped it and poop, it would have been too far for me, but just uh, for me, it was just the performances, the expressions on everybody's faces. Hmm. She wiped it under the rim though. <laughs> <laughs> okay. With the, even though I wasn't a hundred percent behind, I was 97% behind the crazy princess thing because when she shouts, release the peasants, when she actually <laughs> Butler, that was pretty funny. That was that I found I laughed. Well, and I kind of like the the use of the the prima nocta thing, which if you don't know what that means, you're not going to get the joke. But if you knew what that meant, it was funny even before she explained it. I thought that was pretty good. Yep. And Anne Hathaway's laugh at that too was pretty funny. Ah, that was unforeseen. That was that was that. Okay, I'll take it back. I did laugh at that point. And there were moments that I didn't laugh at, like the uh, whole slapsticky jetpack scene. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that wasn't funny at all. I guess maybe we do have nothing more to say about this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was a movie that I watched. That's pretty much my feeling on it. I I have movies that we've watched that I hated more. So, I mean, that's, that's definitely not, gonna... not the worst thing we've ever watched. No. This the show not not in a long time it's a remake of a movie that i love so i mean it's an, almost hard to watch it without being ha- having michael kane and steve martin sitting in the back of my head yeah so i think that's the that is one issue i had with it is like you i you when you said think about watching this movie without ever having seen the original and i'm like i don't understand i've seen the original so many times i don't remember not seeing not knowing about this movie you know what i mean this and Clue are two movies that I would love to like wipe my memory out and watch again for the first time. No. Well, and Memento. Alzheimer's right around the corner. You never know. Oh, keep my fingers crossed. I mean, we could all be there. I mean, hell, if we, if we all get it, then every show is going to be a new show. That'll be a, so much more fun. 80 going on 18. We'll just have one topic we do every week. <laughs> Next week, yeah, the Clue show. <laughs> Have you seen this podcast? It's four assholes that all have Alzheimer's doing the same movie every week. Show's different every time, though. I don't understand it. (laughs) Sometimes I give it a thumbs up. Sometimes I give it a thumbs down. It's a train wreck, but I can't look away. So what do do we got on? Wait. Yeah. I don't know if thumbs down what we got here. I'm guessing Joel and Josh. Thumbs up. Yeah, thumbs up for both. Yeah. Yeah, the original definitely like 16 thumbs up. And this one, I'd still give a thumbs up. I enjoyed it. 
Pat? I am a thumbs up, thumbs down. Obviously. Thumbs up, thumbs down. No surprise there. <gasps> what? <gasps> I am shocked. Dun, dun, dun. What are we doing next week, Joel? Although this does make, this movie did make me want to go to Mallorca. <laughs> uh, next week, we're going to uh, talk about our bo- Talk about our boobs? Our boo-boos. Well. All right, then. <laughs> it is the in, it is the injury show. We're going to talk about like major catastrophic injuries, things that uh, wounded us, sent us to the hospital. We I know we did like a health show before, but this is more like the grievous injuries. So yeah, it's going to be a real upper. Joel has been dead this whole time. <laughs> so if you have anything to say about dirty rotten scoundrels or maybe uh, the hustle, let us know. It's seven zero eight now. Wrap that's seven zero eight six six nine. Nine seven two seven. Yeah, yeah. If you're looking for older stuff, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, Talkshoe, Podverse FM, Noon FM, all over. Leave us a review on Pod Chaser, please. Next week, we're gonna injure ourselves just for you guys. Kind of. Ow! You're gonna kiss my boo boo and make it better. Maybe. All right. Have a good night. Thank you. <laughs> Are you boys ready to kick this off? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to need to pee, get a drink, and contemplate a couch gag. I, I got the acronym, though. Oh, All right. real quick before you do that. I have a question for the three of you. <laughs> How would you guys like to stand at my wedding? Well, you're not going to have enough chairs? Yeah, seriously. I'm, <laughs> I'm planning on laying face down at your wedding. That's you? the only reason I want you guys standing up there I'm with st- me. I'm stuffing you guys in the standing room only section. <laughs> I don't have enough chairs, so I got to put you somewhere. So I figure I'll stand you next to me. Why would standing room be in the basement? <laughs>